If you want to turn to John 17 in your Bible, and uh, as you can already see, it will appear on the screen as well. Thank you, Val. Right, let's read this together and then look at what God wants to speak to us about this morning. So this is John chapter 17, verses 11 to 13. This is from the English Standard Version of the Bible. It says, and I am no longer in the world. This is Jesus talking. John 17 is a prayer of Jesus. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I have kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. These things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I'm going to jump ahead to verse 21 near the end of the chapter. It says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. God, we thank you so much that we get this picture this morning. We get to look at this passage and gaze in on this intimate union in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect yet distinctive, this love. And yet you say that uh, this is for us, that we get now in Christ to have beautiful relationship with the living God, that we can know you. And uh, we wanna know that so much. <laughs> More than anything else, that's our heart's desire. Thank you, Jesus. You've welcomed us in to your presence to have fellowship with the living God. Thank you, Jesus. We pray as we look at these words this morning that you would uh, speak to us, that you'd richly dwell within us and amongst us. Amen. Amen. So we've been working through this series on John 17 called uh, Future Church, looking at some of the distinctive elements of the church, the people of God. Um, well, last week we were talking about um, the fact that we've been, uh, on one hand, sent, on one hand, we've been given to Jesus, um, and the church is supposed to be a place of belonging, where everybody can come and be part of a family. And this week we're gonna kind of delve into that in a little bit more, and we're gonna talk about uh, church as a family, but in particular, in particular uh, unity. Where does unity come from and what does it mean and what does it, what does it look like? So that's a little bit about what we're gonna do this morning because all around us in our, in, in our city, on the news, we see lots of division and disunity and dysfunction um, and whether that's political or amongst families or between different races and people groups, we see lots of disunity. Um, and we also see lots of people trying to fix it and come up with ideas and schemes and plans to try and somehow alleviate that. Um, but uh, even by those who claim to represent unity, 
often what they're doing is actually suppressing it and pushing it down. Because you find that lots of people who would stand for tolerance, often they're only really tolerant of the things that they agree with. <laughs> I, I can be tolerant of you as long as you, as long as you sign up to this particular worldview, this particular way of thinking. If we can be on the same page, if we can agree, then sure, I can tolerate you. But as soon as people disagree and have different opinions, then our world isn't able to hold those two things together often. People aren't able to, to stand alongside people who have opposing views. And we live in this world where our own opinions are just reinforced by the particular news we watch or the particular people that we follow and are friends with, with social media. We get stuck in our own bubble and we're only ever tolerant of people within that bubble. And yet the unity that we're gonna look at this morning transcends all of that. It's far bigger and far greater than, than anything of that. Because the church, the people of God, we should be to the world around us, we should be the ones that are offering true unity. That should be our, our job. Um, we should be offering true family, what, what, what it means to, to model genuine love and loyalty and respect and honor what it should mean to, to offer affection to people and to do all those things consistently and persistently again and again and again, even when it's difficult, even when it's painful. That's what the church is supposed to be like. But often, even we will know from our own experiences that the church isn't, sadly, in some cases, doesn't live up to that standard, doesn't meet that great, that great calling. So what we're gonna do out, we're gonna look at, well, what does this mean for us? Where does unity come from? What does it look like? So unity is, first of all, this is the most important thing. If you take anything home this morning, you take this, that unity is it's the work of Jesus. It comes from what he's done for us on the cross. So if we look at, uh, to help explain this, well, first of all, let me say that it's important to understand that, that unity isn't necessarily a good thing by itself, okay? So Tom and Len, they could be unified in wanting to punch me, all right? But that wouldn't be good. We're all agreed on that, okay? If they were gonna have unity in, I don't know, wanting to buy me a car or something, then I'd think, that's a pretty good thing. Yeah, that's, that's good. But wanting to punch me, bad. Do you understand what I'm saying? That unity itself isn't necessary. We could all be unified and go, yeah, yeah, we're, we're all unified, we're gonna go and burn down a tree. And it's just meaningless, it doesn't mean anything. Poor tree, you know, that's not, so, so it's, we, we mustn't just assume, well, we just, all we need to do is get on the same page as each other and that's, that's the thing we're looking for. No, we're actually looking for something deeper than that. Um, as we, we're looking at here, unity is, comes from and should be representing Jesus Christ. So let's have a look at this. This is in Ephesians. It says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which is lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So plainly and simply, our, our unity is achieved by what 
Jesus has done for us. That's what he came to do, amongst many other things. He came to unite us, unite us to God, unite our hearts, unite us to one another, to bring things back together again, to take what was broken and bring restoration, to fix everything that was damaged. That's what Jesus came to do. And I just want you to let that kind of resonate in your hearts. Because often it's, you know, we'll know, okay, we need, yeah, of course we need unity. Of course we're a family. Of course we need to do things together. But we can, we can sometimes put sort of superficial substitute things in there to try and make it work. We think, well, if we all have the same, the same haircut, if we all listen to the same music, if we all listen to the same clothes, or, or if we all just really like each other, then that will have unity. You know, as long as we just really, if we just kind of hold hands and sing the right songs, yes. And those things are not necessarily bad, but that's not how we get unity because as soon as any trouble or disappointment or frustration comes along, if it's only ever built on superficial things, it will just crumble away. It will just slip away. But if we build our unity on the fact that what Jesus has done for us for those of us who call ourselves believers in Jesus, what, what he's done for all of us, that means we can all stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means that our unity as a people isn't something we have to create, it's something we receive. We receive it from God. We don't have to sort of whip it up into a frenzy. We just say, no, we just receive what Jesus has done for us. So let's look at what, what, sort of, what sort of unity? What is this unity? Well, it's, first of all, this unity is it's a, it's a Trinitarian thing. Now, the, the, the verse here says that we read, uh, he's praying, Jesus is praying that they may be one even as we are one. He's praying to his Father, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Now, that may be a little bit almost, that's the verse there, that may even be a little bit baffling to you, sound it's almost like just kind of a weird sort of Christian jargon, what's, what's that talking about? You know, I, we, one, how does that, what's he saying? Well, the thing, the point is the, the basis of our unity is God's unity. And by God, I'm talking about the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. So that's the important thing that we understand about, about, about our God, that Jesus, in, in the, Jesus the Father, the Holy Spirit, it's this perfect yet distinctive loving union. So we believe in a God that is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not, not different functions or different roles, but distinctive persons, each being fully God, but there's one God, okay? Now that may just explode your mind into a mess of pieces, and it's kind of supposed to, right? <laughs> I think if you ask anybody, okay, just explain that to me again, and they'll give you a different explanation. You say, explain that again, and you think that there are some things about our relationship with God that I don't know if we'll ever fully know until we meet God in heaven. There are some things, not to say that we shouldn't search to know God, that we shouldn't seek to know him, but there are some things that just really surpass our limited understanding. 
And trying to understand the depth of the Trinity is, is a kind of mind-boggling, baffling thing. But it's a really beautiful thing at the same time. We've got this God, the, the Father, the Son, loving each other, serving each other. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, this kind of unity together. And what this passage is saying is that this is now, this beautiful mystery is extended to us, to God's people. So let me, to give you an illustration to help you understand this, it, the, 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 this is talked in the same way when it comes to, to marriage. So marriage in Genesis 2, it says, therefore a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. They should become one. So as, as a married couple, obviously Joe and I are two different people. You can see that because I'm standing here and she's standing down there. But the Bible says in our union in marriage, which is supposed to be a picture of, of the love between the father and the son, the love between God and his church, we have this union that surpasses our understanding, but is true. Marriage is this beautiful thing, this beautiful coming together. So then Paul in Ephesians, he takes this verse and he quotes it and then he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. This is how Jesus loves us with this perfect union, extending the Father's love to us that we may know him richly and deeply. And what this means is that any any unity we have, it's, it's not uniformity. We don't have to all be the same. <laughs> we don't have to all be the same. We can be different. Our unity in Christ doesn't mean that we all just have to do the same thing, say the same thing, look the same thing, have the same opinions, vote for the same political parties, wear the same clothes, listen to the same music. It doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean that we have to be exactly the same. Actually, our unity means that we can be very, very different, but still love each other, still have relationship with each other because it's not based on us, it's based on Jesus. Let me read this quote by the Dutch theologian who was a pastor here in Amsterdam about 120 years ago, Abraham Kuiper, probably not saying his name right. He says this, this is a beautiful quote. He says, go to the wild forest, see the crooked trunks, the twisted branches, the mingling colors, the endless variety of shades. Note how it is precisely in the whimsical interplay of colors and lines that unity is revealed in its finest expression. But then he says, but what is our age doing? In the model of an iron fence, it trims frolicsome shrubbery into a smooth hedge, prunes those wild trunks to the very top. The average is the standard to which it artificially elevates the one and forcibly flattens others, which explains the mediocrity of modern life. <laughs> what he's saying is, we're supposed to have this kind of grand diversity, it's like a forest that you go into, and it's not like the trees are all lined up, but there's this variety and difference, different sorts of trees, different birds, different colors, it's just grand beauty displaying the diversity of God's kingdom. And in our world, we only like things if things look together, if we've got this uniformity, if we can shape everything that looks the same. Our world tries to flatten everything and mold anything into a particular shape. You're acceptable, but only if you're like this. 
You fit in, fit in, but only if you think this, if you do this. And God says, no. Everybody's welcome into his family. The thing that holds us together is what Jesus has done for us. It's not about everybody being the same. Galatians chapter three puts it like this. This is Paul talking again. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is we have this perfect unity, equality before God. We're all equal before God. It's not like one person, he's a really, he's a good Christian and they're a bad Christian. He's, he's really holy and they're, they're not. And we do that. We can compare ourselves to other people. Oh, that guy, look at that guy. I'll, I'll never be like that. I'll never be as holy as they are. That's nonsense. Before God, we have this beautiful equality. But what it's also saying is, it's not saying there's no male and female. We're just kind of genderless now. He's <laughs> not saying that either. He's saying there's this rich diversity. But what really matters is who we are in Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. That's the thing that really defines us. We used to get so caught up in defining ourselves on certain distinctives that we love, the country we're from, or the music that we listen to, the clothes we wear, the things we believe. Those things don't define you. If you try and build your life on those things, they'll just slip away. The, things that, the, the thing that really defines us is Jesus. If you get that hold of that in your heart, that will change you. So let's kind of get a bit more practical, see what this means for us as a community. So how, how do we kind of maintain unity? Because this unity, as we said, is something that's received, not created. And yet Paul in Ephesians still encourages us to... Uh, he says, be eager to maintain. We'll look at that verse in a minute. Be eager to maintain unity. Because you'll know what it's like. We, we, can all, we all be believe this, but people still fall out. People still disagree. We still actually need to, you do need to, need to work to maintain unity in a marriage or with your kids or with your friends, the people you study with. You can't just, you can't just sort of run together and hope that you still like each other in 20 years' time. You have to invest in people. We have to make it work. So how do we do that? How do we get, how do we kind of maintain this unity? First of all, really simply, we seek unity with God. You know, my, my unity with anybody else, my unity with Joe in our marriage, first of all, that depends on my relationship with God. It really does. So I can find that uh, you know, the, the, the number one contributing factor to our marriage is it's not, these things all help, but it's not financial security or not good, good health or having a good sex life. These things are all good, okay? Or kindness or time. Those things all help us, but I, I know that if I'm seeking God, then our marriage is always going to be healthy. Not to say that there won't be ups and downs, but if I'm seeking God, then it just means I just love Joe better. That's right, isn't it? It's true. If we're both pursuing God, we'll just be better at loving each other. As a parent, if I'm pursuing God, then I'll be trying to love my children as the Father in heaven loves me. It just shapes us all the time. 
So if you, if you think, oh, there's just, uh, there's just dysfunction, there's just disunity, this relationship isn't working, you, the, your first response should not be to blame someone or to go and tell them, we're not working, sort it out. Your first response is to go to Jesus and say, maybe, you know, I want to know you, to come and worship him. That's the number one response. Again, let me read another quote from our friend Abraham Koyper. He says, personally, it is our repeated experience that in the depths of our hearts, at the point where we disclose ourselves to the eternal one, all the rays of our life converge as in one focus and there alone regain the harmony which we do so often and so painfully lose in the stress of daily unity. In prayer lies not only our unity with God, but also the unity of our personal life. He's underlining the importance of prayer, of communion, of relationship with God. If you do that, then you'll find that it's so much easier to maintain this unity. Because of course, Unity is, is ultimately the power of God at work. John 17, he's, he says uh, that he will keep them in your name, in the name of God, we're kept together. But yet we do, as I said, should be eager to maintain it. It says in Ephesians 4, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul, the apostle Paul speaking. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility, and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We need to be eager to maintain as a community, as a family together, eager to maintain it. And we do it by some things that are hard sometimes, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, Another way to translate patience in this verse is long suffering. (laughs) Suffering for a really long time. Sometimes that's what patience looks like. Just learning to put up with people who are a bit of a pain sometimes. And just the way that God puts up with us when we're a pain for a really long time. (laughs) The way that God puts up with us when we, 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 we sin, we repent, and we sin and we repent, we mess up, we say sorry, we do it again and again and again and again. And God loves us again and again and again. And he says we, we should, the, all these characteristics, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love, they're all characteristics of Christ. He's saying love each other in the way that Jesus loves you. Bear with one another. Be patient towards one another. And to help us to do this, we can, we can apply some gospel logic to our relationships. So, because if, if our logic, you know, our way of working and thinking, if that's based on uh, kind of some sort of ideology, uh, or if it's based on kind of social theory or marketing or something like that, then, then any unity we have will always have limitations on it. We'll only ever go so far. We'll only stop at a certain point. But... If, if, we, if we apply the love of Jesus to our relationships, 
it will completely transform them if we kind of apply this sort of gospel logic. So let me give you, let me give you an example. In John 15, I think we looked at this last verse a little bit last week. He says, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, his people, to us. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That's what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that we were chosen by God. Not that we suddenly found him, but he found us. So that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. He's saying, because you belong, because we belong to Jesus, because he's chosen us, that means that we can love one another because of what it says at the top. I chose you, I appointed you, I've loved you, so therefore you can love one another. We're chosen to, to do that. So, so let me, I'll keep explaining this as we go. See, because our, our community, it's not like a, a human ideal. It's not just our dream. This is a divine achievement that God's achieved. Our location where we exist is not here in this building. As a people, we exist in Christ together. So let me give you another example to really help explain this. Let's look at Colossians 3. Bearing with one another and... If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. It's really simple. We have a complaint against one another, and we do from time to time, then we realize, we come back to this gospel logic. We say, well, God's forgiven us. That means we can forgive. He's forgiven us so richly and deeply that means we can forgive each other, that we can love each other. Because the thing is, it's not like we have to, we have to, to, to hold, because what we do is, in the end, if, if, we, if we're not forgiving people, we're, we're actually denying the gospel. We're denying Jesus' message. We're saying it's not enough when you kind of hold back in relationship from people, you keep them at arm's length and say, well, you, I, don't really, I don't really want to have a relationship with them. I'll keep them over here. You might think, oh, it's not an issue of forgiveness. I'm just, I'm just going to keep a bit separate from them. We're denying the work of Jesus. We're saying, we're saying that, that his salvation power is good enough for us as individuals, but it's not enough to bring us together. We're saying it's good enough for me, but... It's not enough for their sin. It covers the mistakes I've made, but it doesn't cover the mistakes they've made. Doesn't, 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 that, that problem is too big. I can forgive them this far, but that thing's too big. It's too big for them to receive my forgiveness. And in us saying that, we're kind of saying it's not too big to receive God's forgiveness. And if we're saying that, we've completely misunderstood the gospel. We're completely misunderstanding it. So we need to... Apply uh, this sort of gospel logic. And then finally, to help maintain unity, is to build true family. You see, we're, we're not just a collection of individual consumers who just come and sit here on a Sunday and maybe have a chat with one another over coffee afterwards and then go on our separate ways. 
It's not what the church is. It's not that we just change our preference week to week. Oh, I'll go and try out of another place next week. I'll see the flavor of that church. Maybe they've got, you know, maybe they've got a better guitarist or the preacher does better modeling poses or whatever. You know, we can do that from, from week to week. Just see what, what's going to meet my needs. What's going to work for me best. You know, we're, we're really happy here at Liberty Church for people just to come in and just check us out. Particularly if you don't know Jesus, you're so welcome. And you can flit in and out. You can come and go. Great. If you're just discovering who Jesus is, that's wonderful. You're so welcome here. But if you would say, no, I'm a believer in Jesus. I love him. Then we'd say, commit. (laughs) Commit. Either here or another church. Don't just treat churches as places to meet your needs. It's a family for you to belong to. So either commit here, brilliant. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, we'd love you to do that. Or there's other great churches in the city, go and commit there instead, but commit yourself. Don't live your life bumbling from church to church to church. Honestly, there are people that do that and it saddens me. It really does. Because they're missing out on so much. They are. They're just missing out on so much of the beauty of even what it is to know Jesus because we get to know Jesus by loving one another. We get to know his forgiveness when we learn to forgive other people. So if you're not doing that, you're just missing out on this vast array of what it is to be a Christian. Let's look at uh, this verse from 1 Timothy. He says, do not, this is Paul talking to Timothy, who was a younger leader. Timothy was involved in planting and leading churches. Paul was giving him some instruction on kind of how to build community life. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity. You see that? Fathers, brothers, mothers, sisters. What Paul's saying is it's not, not that we're like a family, but we are a family. Because we have this shared identity, this shared unity in Christ, God shaped us into this new family now. It doesn't mean that the kids running around on, on a Sunday are just a disruptive pain, that it's better off if we just lock them away in a room. We don't, we don't send them into kids' work just because we want to hide them away, we, because we want to deliver things at their stage that's going to help and bless them. It's not that kind of older people in the church are just sort of grumpy people that we just sort of put up with. You know, you just have your moan, have a coffee, and then you know, go and switch on your hearing aid, go over there. It's not how we treat older people in the church. It's not that we... we, we, we we, we treat other people with disdain or any other silly emotions. These are our brothers and sisters. That's how we should love one another. These are our fathers and mothers. God's called us into this beautiful family together. It's not, it's not just a nice phrase of saying, ah, oh, brother in Christ. It's not just a word we use, but it's actually living as though we believe it. Of actually treating each other as though we were each other because we are in Christ brothers and sisters because he's called us together there's no Jew anymore no Greek no Gentile we've got this wonderful equality according to the family of God now and we should treat each other as though we really believe that and then finally this unity is it's a unity for the whole world to see 
says uh, near the end of John 17, says the glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The church, the people of God, we're supposed to be this wonderful display. We're supposed to put God on display to our city. We're supposed to put the unity of God with us on display to this city. The way we love each other, the way we serve each other, the way we treat each other is like brothers and sisters. People should see it and be jealous of it and think, oh, I wish people treated me like that. I wish people loved me and cared for me in that way. I wasn't just kind of thrown to the curb. I wasn't just disrespected because of who I am, because of the color of my skin. People should help see how we love each other and think, oh, I want to be part of something like that. And then we can display to them, well, actually, we love each other like this because of Jesus, because of he's, how he's loved us. What we're going to do is we're going to finish and um, we're going to share communion together um, because of this, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, because there is one bread. Paul's referring back to this meal that Jesus had with his disciples where Jesus broke the bread, said, this is my body broken for you. Or they drank and said, this is my blood poured out for you. See, we who are, are many, we're one body. We're the body of Christ. And we all partake of the one bread. When we share communion together, when we have this meal together, for those of us here who are believers, when we do this together, we're, it's a sign, it's a demonstration of, uh, of not just of what Jesus has done for us individually, but the fact that Jesus has called us into this body, that he's the head of the church and that we're the body, that we're this family called together. So we get to take communion together and remember that and celebrate that. So how we're gonna do it this morning is there's some tables at the back, go and grab a bit of bread and a cup, share it with a few others around you. Um, this is a meal that is for, the Bible talked about being a meal for believers in Jesus. So if you're here and you're not, you don't know Jesus, we ask that you just sit this bit of the meeting out. Uh, if that feels awkward, then just come and talk to me. I'll happily have a chat with you. Don't feel left out or ignored. Um, and if you're here from another church or if you're here and you're a believer but not yet part of us, you're very welcome to join in with us. Let me pray and then we'll share communion together. God, we thank you so much that as we were singing earlier, it's only you can rescue, only you can save. You know, our, our shame was so deep and yet your love goes so much further. And we wanna love each other in the same way that we know that we mess up and we hurt one another, but in the same way we mess up and we hurt you, and you keep forgiving us. You keep loving us again and again. We wanna love each other. We wanna love our families, our friends, our work colleagues, whether they know you or not. We wanna love everybody in that same way, persistently, consistently, again and again, with genuine affection, not just some kind of made up thing, but something that's real from our hearts. 
because it stems from what you've done deep within us. Jesus, we want to know you. We do, we do so much. We know that changes everything. We thank you, God, that you've revealed yourself to us. We thank you so much, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you paid for us, that you gave your body for us, you gave your life for us to set us free, to enable us to have this, this fellowship with you, with one another. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for what you've done. Amen. If you want prayer for anything in particular, there's a few people that would really, you can pray with anybody here, just ask a friend, but there's a couple of people who would just be standing next to Lottie at the back, and they'd love to, to pray for you. If there's something that you think, oh, this, maybe there's a, a, a relationship that is particularly hard for you. Maybe it's someone that, that you're struggling to forgive, or someone that you know they've not forgiven you, or any issue in your life. We'd, we'd love to pray for you. We really would. And there'll be some people at the back who would love to stand with you in prayer and support you.